podcast. I'm Louie, and I'm solo for the first time, two and a half years. Never done an episode of the podcast by myself. There's a first for everything, and there's a reason why I'm doing this alone, simply because no one else in the Haunted Hangover squad has seen this movie yet. I'm the only one that has actually bought a copy of it and checked it out, and that's the WNUF sequel, or better known as the Out There Halloween Megatape. I'm probably in this review going to call it the WNUF sequel several times because the Out There Halloween Megatape, aka WNUF Halloween Special, is a mouthful and I don't want to ramble. I ramble on enough. I don't want to ramble just saying the title of the film I'm going to be talking about. Now, Dave and I reviewed the WNUF Halloween Special, the OG, about two and a half years ago. Uh, it was in the infancy of the podcast. It might have even been like our fourth or fifth episode. Uh, we're both big fans of that movie. Um, and if you haven't listened to that episode, I definitely recommend going and checking it out. Uh, we both appreciate what they were accomplishing with it. We're obviously, you know, our podcast is heavily influenced by nostalgia and Halloween or Halloween nostalgia. And the WNUF Halloween special probably encapsulates that the best. They did a tremendous job capture, like recapturing the ambiance atmosphere of a Halloween special from the 80s. Now, I'll be completely honest here. The WNUF Halloween special, to me at least, my, my opinion, didn't need a sequel. It's not the type of film that requires a continuation. It's really self-contained and it's got a beginning a middle and an end and i and i feel the story they were trying to tell in that film was strong and even even to me i'm like how would you even make a sequel to this and i remember them announcing i believe a few years ago i remember reading it I, I, it might even be like three or four years ago i remember reading on twitter that they were starting a crowdfunding thing, Kickstarter, Seed and Spark, one of those, uh, one of those crowdfunding platforms, and they were trying to get money to finance a sequel. And even then, I was like, okay, cool, but how do you make a sequel to the WNUF Halloween special? Like, it just didn't feel like it was necessary. And you know, we look at movies like Friday the Thirteenth, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, and they've got a shit ton of sequels, but those are slasher movies, and I feel like that type of genre of or subgenre of horror sequels work with something like this i just didn't see where you'd go with it but i was curious now also i wasn't following the development of this movie very closely i was on twitter literally a few days ago and i saw someone post up someone i know a friend of the show post up that they got a copy on dvd and i was like wait a second that's already out i had no idea so i jumped on the website and grabbed the copy it's currently only available in a physical media version. There's a DVD, and I believe they have a combo that has a DVD, a VHS, and a poster or something like that. And I just bought the DVD, and I can tell you off the bat, just looking at the cover, they did a fantastic job kind of with the presentation of this actual film. So before I jump into the plot and some of my likes and dislikes about this film, spoiler warning, of course, this is a new movie, and I don't want to ruin it for you. The following presentation contains controversial theories that may not be suitable for all audiences. The views and opinions expressed in this program are not the only possible interpretations. Viewer discretion is a... So the Out There Halloween Megatape was written and directed by Chris Lamartina, same guy who wrote and directed the original WNUF Halloween special. And before I get into the plot, because this is something I, I missed completely, 
in my initial viewing of the movie. So, so the actual DVD has a lot of writing on it. And when I originally watched it, I just kind of opened it, put the DVD in and just watched the movie. And then I watched it again, but this time I actually was holding on to the DVD cover and I was reading it. And I kind of understood the lore a little bit better and what exactly it is that you're watching and why in the universe this movie or this tape, I should say, exists. Now, I'm taking this information from the back of the DVD. And the, the story goes that between 91 and 98, Trader Tony's tape dungeon was kind of the, I guess, the, the leaders in underground tape trading uh, I always associate that more with wrestling, but I know that it was a thing with horror. And basically, in a nutshell, because I'm not going to read all of this, uh, this guy was selling these tapes and got in trouble for copyright infringement and was arrested. So you purchasing this film, you're basically helping him with his legal bills, his legal expenses, and helping him, I guess, get out of jail or get away with the issue, uh, the issues he's having <laughs> with copyright infringement. And I even like how the director, Chris Lamartina, signs it. So it's almost like he's the third party involved in this and he's friends with Trader Tony and he's helping him out. I completely missed that the first, the, my, in my first viewing. So at the beginning of the film, it's Trader Tony's bumper. Kind of, I guess this is what you would see before one of his tapes if you were to buy it off of him. And I just kind of brushed it off as almost like a commercial or a bumper or something like that. So I'm glad I went back and read this because it's just funny how they were able to even, like the attention to detail even in the packaging is spot on. And I, I can really appreciate the commitment that went into even something as minuscule as the, the back of a DVD and even the cover. Because if you look at it, and I'm in the video version of, of this episode, there's just so many details like on this cover. Pumpkins, you see the actual tape, VHS, TVs. There's just all kinds of information. A little, a little glow-in-the-dark skeleton. It, it's fucking great. Like, what a great job they did with this. And I'm kind of bummed I glossed over it when I first watched the movie. Now, much like the original WNUF Halloween special, this film is made up of two... I would say two segments. The original film kind of has a news broadcast that's one big segment and then you go into the actual WNUF Halloween special hosted by Frank Stewart. Now this one they kind of went a different a different route. And number 1, it's not set in the 80s, it's set in the 90s. And I noticed and and this might have been a small detail I missed. I couldn't tell if this was supposed to be a different channel or the same channel from the original film. Because I noticed in this one, they call the channel, or what you're watching, channel Ace 28. And I did see WNUF sprinkled throughout, so I'm, get, I'm guessing either it's another channel, or it's the original channel from the first film, but they've evolved into this channel. Because I could have sworn the original one's supposed to be more of like a public access type deal, and this, this felt more like a Fox like a Fox, not Fox News, but like Fox 5. Like here in New York, I'm from New York. Fox 5 was our, our channel, and that kind of felt in that realm. That's kind of wh what they were going for when it came to what these programs, what channel these programs were on. So the first portion or program is a Ricky Lake, Jerry Springer, like parody, faux talk show hosted by Ivy Sparks. And it's her 
Halloween Spooktacular. It's her Halloween-themed episode, of course. And I, I have to give the filmmakers credit because they did a fantastic job recreating like just the overall atmosphere of what these shows felt like down to a T. They even have like a security guard that comes out to break up fights. So if you're around my age, and even maybe a little younger or a little older, you remember these shows, these daytime talk shows being a thing. And I just love how they incorporated that into this movie. So the second program or portion of the movie is called Out There, Alien Expose Live Special. It's basically a faux unsolved mysteries or sightings. If you're familiar with sightings, that's what this reminded me of, even down to the stoic, stern host of the show. His name's Tate Dawson, very Robert Stack. That's kind of the vibes I got from the dude. But a funny detail is Ivy Sparks is the centerpiece of this movie. So we learn that, and we learn with a very brief news broadcast that happens right before this out there uh, Alien Expose special happens, we learn that her talk show that you just watched was canceled and that she's going to be the new co-host of Out There. But this is kind of her, uh, I guess, like limbo in between a new season starting. So she's kind of getting acclimated to hosting a new show. And what I love is you could see the distaste that, <laughs> that Ivy Sparks has while she's hosting this show. She's not happy that she's doing this. And it's really funny because people continue to remind her of her previous show because she has a um, a catchphrase that's be nice. So several people just throughout this like second special constantly mention it, and you could just see in her face she's super duper annoyed. So the out there alien expose live special is made up of small segments as well kind of diving into River Hill's history with aliens. We get a, a couple of different short stories from first-hand accounts of aliens interacting with people. We get this pizza guy who claims that he saw an alien, dropped the pizza, lost his job. We learn about the crop circles and the farms and pumpkins being damaged, and it's not because of aliens. It's insinuated that the, the woman's sons are humping. The uh, the pumpkins, you gotta you gotta see it to know exactly what I'm talking about. Then we get like the real alien footage, which all these like type of TV shows were notorious for. And probably the most important, or I guess when it comes to the plot that's happening throughout uh, this out there special, is there's a Heaven's Gate type cult called the Temple of Divine Purity. And they believe that the aliens are gonna come down and take them away before the world ends. And it's gonna happen on October 31st, 1996, when this takes place. And they're wearing shitty wigs, they're wearing these ridiculous costumes. I will say the, the actor portraying Ding, who's like the leader of this actual cult, he always has a shit-eating grin on his face and it just works so well. He's constantly trying to grab the mic from Ivy and she pulls it away because he just wants to tell people, it's not too late, you can join us and go up with the aliens and get away from Earth. It's just, the interaction between the two of them is, is really, really funny. They're coming, Miss Sparks. I can sense their arrival. Well, I can't wait to see your face when they arrive. 
Now, one of my favorite aspects of this movie, and I'll be honest, it also bleeds into kind of a critique I have in the movie, but I'm not going to get into that just yet. And I'll say this right now, I'm not going to be overly critical of this movie because it's a low-budget film. I respect the hustle being a filmmaker myself, so I'm not going to like shit on it or be like overly critical about some of the stuff they did or, or, or my distaste for stuff or stuff I didn't like. I'm not going to harp or, or dwell on it too much. But again, to focus on something I really liked, I liked how they were able to incorporate and expand on the mythos of some of the characters from the previous film. Focusing specifically on the Bergens, the kind of Warrens parody. Uh, if you know the Warrens, they were paranormal investigators and exorcists and mediums and all this type of shit. Like they were able to talk to ghosts. And there was a cat, there was a couple like that in the original film. And then Frank Stewart, who was the host of the original movie, who's hands down probably my favorite part of the original WNUF um, Halloween special. I love how they were able to kind of, we learn more about what they were trying to achieve with that initial film. And the way they do it with the Bergens is during the talk show, we meet their niece who's kind of a sellout. She's kind of using them going missing because in the original film they go missing or die. We see them, we see them get killed. Um, but she's using that kind of horrible incident to make money because she wrote a book. And <laughs> the way they the way they incorporate aliens, like just the overall narrative it kind of starts with that and how she believes aliens are the reason why they're missing. Now, when you get into the out there alien expose, we learn that Frank Stewart originally shot, a, uh, I guess it was a Halloween special or a special that he was going to air on Halloween um, about aliens and about River Hill's history with aliens. And apparently uh, the men in black or the government or whatever you'd consider that were able to find the footage and steal it and it went missing and they were never able to air that special, which leads him to creating what we saw in the original film. So basically the original movie was a last minute decision because they already had guests flying in, they were ready to roll. And we basically learned that it was kind of just a, a desperate kind of move. And that's Frank Stewart really wanted to do this original Alien special and had no choice but to do the Halloween ghost special. And, I, and it's crazy because when you, when you think about it, it makes sense why in the original film it was all phony. We learned everything was fake. But now you see why. Maybe it was because it was a last minute decision to make a fake, you know, phony uh, exorcist and have a priest come in that's actually an actor and pretend that this house is haunted when in reality it wasn't. So I really, really liked that a lot. I liked that so much. Now, obviously the wraparound with the WNUF Halloween special and the, these films in general are all the faux Halloween commercials and commercials for products. There are a lot of commercials in this movie. I can tell you right now, you know, <laughs> thinking about the first movie and the whole fast-forwarding gimmick, because in that movie there's a gimmick where they, the, the character, I guess you're watching, their, their, their tape, they fast-forward through commercials because they repeat a couple times. In this movie, they kind of did away with that, and no commercials repeat. And you could tell they were working with a little more money because the commercials just look better produced. Like, there's way more, well, you could tell way more work, and they were able to accomplish more this time around. Now, I'm not going to spout off every single <laughs> commercial, uh, but there's three that pop out to me that are my favorite. Um, and when you watch this movie, if you watch this movie, I guarantee 
it's probably going to be your favorite thing about this movie. And it was a lot of people's favorite thing about the original film as well. Uh, but my three favorite commercials, the first one up is the Slim Fryer's Chicken KFC uh, type thing. And basically what it is is this chicken establishment has a kid's meal, a Halloween kid's meal, that the gift or toy that you get with it is called a Slim Sipper. And it's a Halloween-themed cup with a straw. I just thought the way they were able to kind of capture that as well was just done just to a T. It feels almost like a real, real fast food chain. Um, another thing that's near and dear to my heart, obviously, is the the R.B. Harper's Halloween theme park you know, event. Obviously, I love Halloween events and Halloween attractions and things like that. And once again, just the way they were able to use stock footage and edit this together, it looked like a real amusement park. And last but not least, when it comes to the commercials, my favorite ones, the Nail Biters book series, which is a parody of the, Go the Goosebumps book series. Once again, like, wow, dude, watching, watching this, this commercial, it felt like a real book series. I was like, wow, they, they were able to really recreate. I was like, damn, I'd read a Nail Biters book. Like, they were able to recreate what those books were to us as kids in this 20 second ad and it's just so impressive i was like fuck guys you guys should really make an alibiters book and sell it i'd buy one now before i get into the absurd and ridiculous ending of the out there halloween mega tape uh because i'll be perfectly honest the ending of this film is ridiculously hokey i get it that was the fucking point <laughs> um but when comparing it to the original wnuf film i think that one took itself a little more serious it's ridiculous too but it's a little darker and I, I feel like it made more of an impact. But before I get into what happens, I have to mention one character because he factors into the ending, and that's Reed Richmond. Now, throughout the Out There Alien Expose program, before Ivy and Tate cut to commercial, there's these little bumpers starring Reed Richmond. And what this guy basically is is a genre. He's a genre horror sci-fi actor. And before he hits you with this trivia... He names some of the movies he starred in. And he has like this whole catchphrase, that's a true fact, after he delivers this fact. And all the facts are also about these ridiculous faux horror and sci-fi films. And the dude is super charismatic in, in a like bad actor way. Like he's obviously hamming this up and purposely acting and it works so well. And I just love some of the titles that he spouts out. Some of the some of the fake movies he starred in. I wrote three of my favorite here: Freaky Fax Machine, The Chiropractor Massacre, and One Nine Hundred Frankenstein. Just just great. I wish all these movies existed. <laughs> and I, if you notice, like the Nail Biters uh, books, there's just certain things these guys created in this film where I'm just like, wow, these these sound like real movies and books. And and I even want to go back to that Nail Biters commercial because they actually like show a list of all the books in that series. And I want to read each one. I didn't have a chance to do that. Uh, but yeah, Reed Richmond, just a, a, a great character, really funny. Every time he popped up on screen, I had to chuckle just because of his whole presentation. But what happens in the end and how he factors into the ending. So what happens is throughout the out there alien expose broadcast, we, there's a bunch of like glitches and 
weird like static that happens we even get a shot of an alien and they cut to commercial they cut to black obviously something is going wrong and what happens at the very end is a bunch of all hell breaks loose and the aliens land but we find out as the alien is walking that it was all staged and why is that because the (laughs) because the cult that was there decided to drink their poison as they saw the alien exit the ship. And as the alien gets closer, the alien pulls off its head, which we find out is a mask, and Reed Richmond says, Happy Halloween, and we find out it was all a prank set up by Ivy and Tate and the Out There team, while the, <laughs> while the cult is vomiting up bile and shit, and they're all dying. It's fucking ridiculous. And then we cut to... A news broadcast or another show where we learn that Ivy and Tate are taking the fall for this entire group of people dying and that the out there show was canceled before it can even go into its new season. So Ivy has really bad luck. Her talk show was canceled and now her her second her second show that she was supposed to go host is also canceled because of a Halloween prank, which like thinking about it, it is amazing but so, so absurd. So there's a couple more things I want to mention here that I really liked about this movie, and most of it's just stuff that made me laugh. I got a, I got a, got a good chuckle out of me. Uh, first thing, Stefan, the real vampire. I love that entire segment. I love that they want to give him a makeover, and normal to them is like a blonde wig and rosy cheeks and a sweater tied around his, uh, his neck. Um, I love how serious he takes himself, and you could see the skin tone his white face makeup and then his real skin tone and the big glasses and the Peter Steele long hair. I love that he's in like a death rock Christian death parody band. Uh, It's not supposed to be a parody. He takes it very serious, but I can tell these guys were trying to make it a parody of like Roz Williams Christian death. And I love how he's performing to nobody. During his uh, video package, I think it might have been Ivy is like, and the crew, the camera guys, are the only two people at the concert, and they're, they're put on this big elaborate performance. Shit's hysterical. Um, there's also a, a, a segment during the news broadcast. So I didn't mention that there's a news, a very brief news broadcast when compared to the original film, sandwiched in between the two uh, Ivy Sparks talk show and out there uh, alien expose. There's a small, very short news broadcast in the middle, and there's a Halloween safety segment. And in the original film, there's a cop. I forget exactly what he talks about, but once again, he's covering Halloween safety. I'm pretty sure it's the same guy, the same actor portraying the cop this time around but instead he's talking about the warning he's warning people about drinking and driving on halloween and he stands next to a memorial like at the bottom of a tree and we find out that two trick-or-treaters were hit by a drunk driver the previous year and he's got he has a line where he like finishes his small little segment where he says don't get smashed like these two little pumpkins i was dying because there's this dark trick-or-treater segment in the original film and if you've seen that movie you know which one i'm talking about i'm not going to get into it but that shit makes me chuckle every single time it's a dark joke i'm not gonna lie it's pretty twisted that i get a kick out of it but it's just the deadpan execution of what they're talking about is what makes it so funny even though it's two kids being fucking brutally killed by a drunk driver they somehow are able to make it funny, which is, I know, crazy, but they're able to do it. Halloween ain't just 
sexy witches and candy corn. Last year, a drunk driver took out two trick-or-treaters right where I'm standing. So don't go and get smashed like those two little pumpkins. I can also appreciate the, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of bootleg Jason masks in the background of a couple of uh, shots. I guess extras just put on Jason mask and you know us here at Haunted Hangover, we really love and appreciate Jason masks, specifically bootleg ones. So it was nice, uh, authentic. That was 90s, authentic 90s to have a couple of people dressed up as uh, Jason Voorhees with their bootleg hockey mask in the background. Two thumbs up for that one. Now on to some critiques I have about the Out There Halloween megatape. My biggest critique is the Ivy Sparks character. She's insanely prominent in this movie. And I was not the biggest fan of hers. I didn't think she was that charismatic. I didn't think she was that interesting. I think her strongest performance was during the talk show segment. And I wasn't crazy that they injected her into the alien expose portion of the movie. I was cool if they would have just used Tate. You know what I mean? Or maybe Ivy had a little small guest role on it in one short segment in that show. But she's in the entire thing. This entire film is about Ivy Sparks. She's the main character. If I had to point one, if I had to tell you who was the main character in this movie, Ivy Sparks is the main character. And they do her they do her a disservice, I'd say in this movie by showing characters from the previous movie by showing Frank Stewart, by showing the Bergens. I'm a huge fan of the Frank Stewart character. He carries that entire movie. That dude is so charismatic. He's a charismatic, lovable asshole. Ivy Sparks doesn't have that quality. And it didn't, it didn't take me out of the movie, but I just didn't think she was anything special. I was just kind of like, all right, whatever. And them showing the bad Photoshop, which I did get a kick out of, of Frank Stewart, and us learning more about his character, us, you know, the Bergens being mentioned, made me miss those characters. And that's probably my biggest dislike with this movie because it made me wanting those characters to come back. I, I was missing them. I was honestly hoping while watching this that Frank Stewart somehow survived what happened to him in the previous film. It's funny too because, and this is a really bleak ending, a ver like a stinger. It's not really the ending of the film. It's more of a stinger. The film ends with a, a, a news bumper or commercial uh, showing the church, I'm assuming that the, the 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 religious group from the first film that are responsible for, responsible for the death of the Bergens and Frank Stewart, uh, that church, I'm guessing their church, was being torn down and bodies were found underneath in the basement or something like that. And being a big fan of the first film, you know whose bodies those were. And, and I was just kind of like, damn. Frank is dead, like the Bergens are dead. And I'm just like, I wanted more of them. Now, the whole backstory of us learning about Frank Stewart's original special going missing, I'm about 90% sure that's kind of sequel bait. They can always kind of go back to him by making an entire film about this unaired Halloween special. And they can use Trader Tony as the distributor of that Halloween special or that alien special um, and release it and bring back that actor to portray Frank Stewart. But that's really my biggest con is just I missed those strong performances and Ivy just didn't have it. 
Tate Dawson was cool. He he was very kind of just the straight man and didn't really add much to it. He's he's good, but he didn't really add much to to the whole Alien expose. He's just very much a paint by numbers host. And yeah, it was just it was just weird to I would have much rather them completely distanced themselves from the characters that were featured in the first film because that kind of hindered my viewing experience of the movie. It didn't hinder it enough that I didn't enjoy it because I did enjoy what they were able to achieve with this, but it just made me miss those characters specifically and I wanted them to come back. I wanted I was waiting like for some something to happen where they just pop up or one of them pop up, but it never happened. Overall, I think the out there Halloween mega tape is a lot of fun. Though it's not as good as the original, it does feature some great moments of Halloween nostalgia, and you could tell it was made with love by the filmmakers. I'd recommend checking it out this spooky season, maybe even doing a double feature with the original. Be nice. Be nice. So that was the Out There Halloween Mega Tape, aka the WNUF Halloween Special Sequel. Be sure to subscribe, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Haunted Hangover. Check out our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash hauntedhangover31. If you could rate and review us, that would be greatly appreciated. And remember, the best cure for a hangover is more booze. Catch you guys later.